Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to this week's episode of Leadership Conversations by TSBR. I'm Frederick Otto, the founder and business advisor of the Sustainability Board Report. And I'm here with Helena Gudjonsdottir, project manager of TSBR. And today is a very special episode because it is number 10 of our humble series. We started in December and it is now March and we are very happy to have received great feedback and we are continuing to interview sustainable leaders, impactful leaders. And today we had the best person who could feature on an anniversary episode that is Patrick Dunn, who wrote the book Boards. Helena, how did you enjoy our conversation with Patrick? Yeah, it was really enjoyable to listen in on the conversation with Patrick, an expert in boards. It was interesting to hear from him, his journey of how he got into boards when he was working at 3i. He really thinks about what makes a good board and a good board member. And obviously that's what we are really curious about here at TSBR. I think it was nice to hear this interest in boards, but also his social involvement. So he shares a lot with us about what he's doing with his foundation. He shares a lot with us what he has done in the social sector and currently working on the empowerment in African education systems. And as I said, we really learn about the sort of evolution of boards, which I think is really fascinating to hear. And he summarizes it well. My learning point in that conversation was his view on how the boards are actually gone backwards socially. There's an even wider gap of becoming a board member. I think, of course, we can't ignore the fact that the pandemic has, you know, affected boards and there's sort of a change in the way the boards are operating. And he really covers that well discussing the stakeholder thinking, you know, how hybrid way of working is changing boards. But I think overall, he has a really positive outlook, which is nice to hear. And I think he wants our listeners to take a big message from the podcast, which is, you know, how can we move to a more positive mindset? And when you're on a board or when you're an executive, what can we do to recover the planet we're on, both as a, as a business, as people? And I think that was a huge takeaway for me. And last thing I think it will be really interesting for listeners he shared with us a tip or a phrase from his grandmother which is really personal and nice to hear but yeah Freddie what about you what did you think was the biggest takeaways for you or your highlights from the conversation first of all Helena it, it is important to note that we get a lot of wisdom from grandparents in, in our series I remember last episode we had Marga Huck joining us and she was talking about I think her grandfather's wisdom Patrick is sharing his grandmother's wisdom. So those are always the best. Those I enjoy a lot. And uh, I agree with you. Patrick gave probably so far one of the best summaries of the state of boards and how that ties in with the sustainability narrative that we are all about here, of course. So really interesting how he summarizes everything. And as with every author, we discussed their latest book project. Patrick has just released the second version of his very successful and very thorough and interesting book, 
bought. It is very much what it says on the tin. I think it is one of the guides to the boardroom with a lot of tips and tricks and wisdom and anecdotes are recommended to everybody who's interested in corporate governance. Yeah, perfect. Couldn't agree more, really. I think without further ado, we can dive into today's conversation. On today's episode, we feature Patrick Dunn. Patrick has extensive experience of working with boards around the world in the business, public body, education and social sectors. He chairs board consultancy Bordelta and the charities EY Foundation and ESSA Education Sub-Saharan Africa. He's a trustee of the Chartered Management Institute, a visiting professor at Cranfield and the founder of Boric in Africa. Patrick, great pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And great to be here. Patrick, I've only given a very brief introduction of yourself since we like to hear as much as possible from our guests. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about your background in your own words, your leadership journey and the current work that you focus on? Yeah, so I was born in a, in a city called Liverpool, which is famous for many things. I was not terribly good at lots of things at school, but I was okay at mathematics. And so I got to Warwick University, which changed my life completely. And then I, I started working in the chemicals industry with a company called Air Products, which was fantastic training and I was doing operations research there. So a lot of mathematical modeling and logistics and all that kind of thing and had a lot of interaction with the board fairly early on, you know, more or less straight, straight after graduating, which was great. I then did an MBA at Cranfield, which really gave me a lot of other experience. I learned about finance and marketing and people management and that, that was great. And then I was incredibly lucky. I got a job with a company called 3i Group which was in private equity, venture capital, growth capital. And then it looks like I'm really boring because I, I spent 26 years there, but I did a whole series of jobs and the company expanded very significantly around the world uh, and ended up on the operating committee there. During my time at 3i, I got really into boards because I realized early on investing that the better the board we had, the more money we made and the less hassle we had. So. I started to think about what makes a good board and what makes a good board member, how can you get them working together and, and so on. That led me to work on the Hicks review, which was a review of corporate governance in the UK, which came up with two things, which I think have really stood the test of time. One was the senior independent director role, and the other was uh, the, the greater gender balance on board. So it led to the creation of what in the UK was called the 30% club and has been exported. During my time at 3i, I was very fortunate because 3i allowed you to do things in, in your spare time, which doesn't sound that generous, but anyone who's been on in the senior management group of a FTSE 100 will know that it can be quite constraining and quite restricting. So I, I did stuff in the social sector, which I'd always done in terms of volunteering, but I helped to build a charity called Leap Confronting Conflict, which helps young people manage conflict more effectively. That actually turned out to be very useful in the boardroom. And then I, I founded Warwick in Africa, which teaches children and trains teachers in, in Ghana, South Africa, and Tanzania. Now we, we've benefited about three quarters of a million children. So that's been wonderful. Then I was on the board of, of the Warwick University for nine years, which was great fun and, and some other things. And then when I so-called retired, I, I retired young because I could, and because I wanted to spend more time in Africa and I had the idea for what became education sub-Saharan Africa and 
I wanted to found that and that's been wonderful. That, that's working on systemic challenges in African education. So today, as you've pointed out, I have a mix of, uh, you know, I have the board Delta business, which is, which is really dealing a lot with boards and I have some chair in other board roles and it, it's a very fortunate life. Fantastic, Patrick. And I guess it's fair to say you are a highly regarded corporate governance expert and educator. You have written a number of books and uh, we will talk about one of them just in a little bit. Before we do that, I would like to pick your brains on uh, the current state of the boardroom and uh, a little bit the history and the challenges that we see now. How has the role of the board evolved? Yeah, well, maybe if I put it in a 20-year context, that's probably helpful. perfect. And then, and then actually look in in a little bit more depth at what's happened as a result of the pandemic and the other things that are happening, or have been happening in the in in the world. So, 20 years ago, you know, technology wasn't at the same state it is it is today. Many boards were quite traditional, very quite formal, quite the, the relationship between executive and the and the board was was different. Even in a unitary board world where you have, you know, one board and then you have the management team as opposed to a supervisory two-tier board, boards tended to be more supervisory in, in, in nature. And, you know, when we did the Hicks review, only 6% of the people who were on boards in, in the public company space at that time were women. They were not very diverse at all. Roll the clock forward 20 years. They are more diverse, but they need to be more diverse again. I think, you know, socially, they've probably gone backwards. So in, in my generation, you know, I, I was on free school meals at, at school, lived in a pretty humble area. It was exceptional for, for anyone from, you know, my street to be able to board of anything. And that's got worse, I think. Over time, the, the social gap has has widened, and, and I and others are doing quite a lot of work around that at the moment. Disabled, you know, how few? You know, there are hardly any disabled board members in the FTSE 350, for example, or the DAX or whatever market you take. So I think there are changes in the composition of boards. I think there's a big change in the nature of decision making, and this is something that's I think really been accelerated by the pandemic. So as I describe it, I think we're moving from a maps world to a satnav world. So historically, we had a very ritualized annual budget, very detailed strategic plan with a very sophisticated process going behind it. I think in the venture space and in, uh, in fast growth markets and in technology, people were already adopting different approaches with dynamic budgeting, lockstep spending. You know, they use different phrases to describe it, but they were not so rooted into uh, calendar and time-based kind of thinking. They were more thinking about events. So the move to a satnav world, is, as I describe it, is you know the move away from those rigid kind of tools that we had to you know making more decisions closer to junctions, where we've got better live information. You know, in, in, in twenty years ago, you you didn't usually get you know almost live reporting in terms of financial and operational data. Now you've got that. So, you know, you can make decisions when it's the best time to do it rather than, you know, maybe months before it's the best time to do it. So that's a change. I think the relationship with the management and the board, which I, I always sort of think of as a Venn diagram. 
So I, I have a sort of spectrum for this when I'm working with boards and being on a board that, you know, at one end of the spectrum, the circles don't really interlock. The board and the exec are in a parallel universe. At the other end of the spectrum, they're overlapping completely. And they're at, the board is trying to do the executive's job, which is not healthy. And in the middle, there's a good level of intersection. What happened during the pandemic was that that intersection grew. You know, much more support was needed from the board to the management. There was more oversight required as well because of the heightened risk. And for most boards, that was a very constructive, happy experience. As we move to a different phase of the pandemic, I think that that intersection has come back a bit, but it's probably settling at a bigger intersection than it was before. And the final change, I think, which is a, a very big change, is the whole thinking around stakeholders and ESG and that space. And interestingly, at 3i, which was a leader in in this space in the private equity industry, we always felt that you know the ESG, and, and even before it was called ESG, we thought actually the way to think about this is in terms of value creation. Because if you look at, if you do any analysis of portfolios, what, what you tend to discover is in, in, in the mid-market and growth space, for example, probably 60% of the value growth is earnings growth, but 25% comes from growing the multiple of earnings that you sell the company on when you eventually sell it. And the balance, smaller amount than many people think is financial engineering. What are the things that contribute to growing the multiple that you will sell a business on? Well, now, if you have a happy workforce, happy customers, no environmental issues, no tax issues, no regulatory issues, a really robust and engaged supply chain that you're not abusing, then guess what? It's easier to sell the company. If you have any of those issues, guess what? People will pare the price down in due diligence. So our view was always that, you know, this is absolutely uh, a good thing to do, but it's also a, a smart thing to do in terms of commercially smart. So I think, and many boards are getting that now. They're having a very different sort of relationship with stakeholders. It's not completely the primacy of the the shareholder. And in the pandemic, again, you know, the the focus on well-being and and staff, you know, really shot up the the rankings. I think. Thanks, Patrick. And I want to expand a little bit more on that notion of ESG in the boardroom and here at the sustainability board report. We are all about that. You earlier mentioned the social component as well. ESG obviously stands for environmental and social governance. So I think we are seeing more and more on the environmental side, net zero commitments and so on. But I would also agree that the diversity and inclusion narrative definitely has picked up pace. Now, let me ask you this. When we look at the ESG preparedness of boards, as we call it, a huge part of this is the consciousness and the competence of the individual directors on these boards. We, we add a, a little layer here with committees as well. So do you have a sustainability committee or a committee that looks after sustainability and then how conscious or competent are the directors on those committees? Can you talk a little bit to that, how you see this evolving at the moment? Do you feel... You need specialists on the board. Should everybody have a general knowledge of the topic or how do you see that? I would love it if everybody was properly aware, had the knowledge to make the right choices, which is what this is all about. It's about making the right choices for the planet, you know, for societies and so on. The reality is we're all learning. We all have big gaps. You know, lots of the ESG experts have gaps. 
So I think there is a, a benefit of having, you know, a huge awareness raising within the organization, but also some specialists or as I call them vigilantes who are out there finding out what's going on, finding out what other people are going on, informing us as a board, you know, what it is we should be doing. One of the things that I found very helpful and is, is a trend that, that I didn't cover before is, is the rise of next-gen boards. So I, I think next-gen boards are a very good way of informing the board uh, about lots of things, including this topic. One thing I worry about is that if ESG is seen as some separate thing, some additional thing, and not just part of the fabric of the organization, then I, I, I don't think that's as good as it being part of the fabric all the way through, but having specialists who, you know, just as we have specialists in finance, we have specialists in technology, we have specialists in other areas. So I think that's really important. I think we're all, we've all got a lot to learn. One of my biggest hopes is I think the current framing is too much around, let's not do so much damage. That's the kind of prevailing mindset at the moment. Let, let's try and minimize the damage that we do. I think we need to move to a much more positive mindset, which is, you know, how can we recover this wonderful planet that we're on? How can we actually make people's lives so much better than they are? Not just, you know, how can we make them not so miserable? <laughs> how can we make them so much better? And within that, there are massive business opportunities massive commercial opportunities to to do that so it's in our interests to do that I, I mean as as we record this podcast we're also you know on day two of the the russian invasion of ukraine and i won't get into politics but how can we make society more cohesive how can we reduce these threats i think we should be more positive and i think the corporate sector in particular has got a great opportunity to to do that and along with other sectors to to show leadership. Thanks, Patrick. I think that was a great summary. And geopolitics certainly become more and more important in the boardroom as well as we are in this VUCA world, right? Um, skipping a little bit forward now, unfortunately, we only have limited time, but I do want to talk a little bit about your book project, Boards, that is, a holistic guide about boardroom best practice. Um, that's what I call it. I, I hope you would agree. But uh, you are going into the second edition now of Boards, only a few years after you released the first one. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the book itself and about the updates and the latest version? Yeah, so it's not a very imaginative title, is it, Boards? But it does what it says on the tin. There are, I, when I think about a board and I think about, you know, how do I make this board more effective or when I'm doing, when I was doing due diligence on a board, when I was thinking of investing, I had a triangle in my mind and that triangle was purpose, people and process. If you have clarity of purpose for the organization as well as for the board and for the executive, you've got the right people working together in the right way and you have good supportive process. So the water flows to the right place and there's a tap and you can control it, then the board will, will work fine. So I've structured the book in these three kind of sections to start with. And then I've added probably half the book, uh, a whole series of what I call dilemmas, difficult situations that a board might face. And how do you navigate through those situations? Because I think with boards, there's a lot written about the technical, the legal, the responsibility side, but the practice, the 
to decision-making, there's a lot in the book around decision-making is really what, you know, that's what boards do. We make choices and sometimes those are very complicated and very difficult. And sometimes they're much more straightforward. I talk a lot in the book about the relationship with the executive team, because I think to have a high performing board, it needs to have a high performing relationship with the executive. Um, and in the various training that I do around the world, I, you know, I do a lot around that interaction between the board and the exec. I did the second edition much more quickly than I thought, because unfortunately I released the first edition literally weeks before COVID broke. So I had all this sort of, you know, breakfast, lunches, dinners set up and I had to cancel it all. <laughs> it was very disappointing. But then the, the Zoom world and the web world, uh, webinar world sort of mushroomed. And so I ended up doing a lot of stuff uh, around that. But I wanted to do a new edition because I felt that the pandemic accelerated a number of changes. And I talked earlier about the shift from a maps to a sat nav world. It definitely accelerated that. It definitely accelerated the shifting balance of stakeholder thinking, which was really important. I think it also changed the way the boards communicate and work together because of the technology. And, you know, we're all delighted to be getting back to a hybrid kind of way of working, but we will be working more in an electronic form than we worked before. There's been a step change. I think the, the big increase in volatility, uncertainty and risk has changed the way boards think about risk. So we're much more thinking about rather than specific events, we're thinking about the consequences of a range of possible events. So, uh, and the second edition's had a, had a, I mean, it's had a very pleasant reaction. I think there's some things in it that are, that are challenging, hopefully, um, thought provoking, because my aim really was to provoke discussion and to have people think about different ways of doing things. Great. And Patrick, I hope you don't mind, but I like to ask authors what their favorite part or potentially favorite chapter of the book was, or is there any anecdote that comes to mind that made you chuckle when you wrote it, something like that? Yeah, I mean, the people section is my favorite section and the managing conflict is my favorite section within that because I think the ability to manage conflict is a distinguishing feature of the best board members and the best boards. They can resolve, you know, very different, diverse views. And one of my favorite bits is a little phrase my grandmother told me when I was a little boy, which was, it's really, really important to listen to what people say, but it's even more important to listen to what they think. And if in a board meeting, you can see into the thought bubbles and, and get a sense of how people are feeling and thinking, that helps you enormously in terms of your board life. Great. I, li I like that. Kudos to your grandmother. Any other projects that Patrick Dunn has in the pipeline? Anything else that comes to mind that we will hear of soon? I think probably the most exciting thing I'm working on at the moment is with ESSA, Education of Southern Africa. We're doing an amazing mobilization, if you like, around developing women leaders in African education. I mean, at the moment, only two and a half percent of the vice chancellors across Africa are women. There are very few women professors. And so what we want to do is completely change that game by supporting local women in, in many different African countries to do that and mobilizing the business community in Africa and the rest of the world to help with that. So that that's probably the most exciting thing I'm involved in at the moment. That sounds fantastic. And I myself have family in Africa too. So I would second that there is definitely 
uh, a huge female leadership issue in general. Patrick, we come to our questions that we ask all of our guests. This is always my favorite part. And let me ask you this. What is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a big impact on either yourself or society at large? I think I'd probably pick Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia because his simple idea that let's try and make the sum of all human knowledge available for free to everyone on the planet. That is such a, a massive idea. It hasn't achieved it completely yet. There's still more to go, but that's an amazing achievement to do that. And I, and I think that has had a big impact on society, particularly for those young people who don't have and haven't had access to great teaching or, or, or great knowledge. It's a great thing. I think that's a fantastic answer. I would agree with you. I'm a huge fan of Wikipedia as well. Just when I think back about all the books and the Britannica and all of that, what we, we used to have in the bookshelf, but now we have it in the palm of our hand, right? It's absolutely amazing. Jimmy Wales, um, great shout out. Uh, thank you, Patrick. And lastly, can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of the leadership toolkit? Start applying right now to set them up for more societal impact, which is what we are trying to promote, of course. I think I go back to my gran and, and, I, and I think if you can listen to what people think, if you're trying to listen to what people think, it means you're trying to understand what they're about, what their life is like. And there's a lot of patronizing behavior uh, that goes on in the, you know, the society sector, if you like, the, so the social sector and actually mobilizing people, giving them the tools to change things for themselves. And for their communities is something I've always passionately believed in. And it's, it is so much better to help people learn how to do something themselves rather than either do it for them or tell them how to do it. So that I think is probably the biggest thing in terms of leadership. It's that empowering people to go change the things for themselves because they'll know better what to change than you. I can see how this makes the biggest impact as well. Patrick, we've come to the end of the podcast. It was a great pleasure speaking to you today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, Philip. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description. 